Uh, now, this week's episode is a bit of a special one, really, because this week, at the weekend, Saturday 11th of February, it was International Day of Women and Girls in Science, started in 2015 by the United Nations. And so what I thought might be really nice to do this week is think back to some of the fantastic female guests that I've been lucky enough to host on this show. And also, I've got this interview uh, with two brilliant female scientists who run this initiative. They established an initiative, I think, about 10 years ago now, this initiative called Soapbox Science. And this was all about getting female scientists around the UK to get up and speak about their areas of science, to encourage women uh, to get involved in science. This is run by the the, the fantastic uh, Natalie Petarelli. She's a scientist at Zoological Society London and Serian Sumner. She's a a professor of behavioural ecology at University College London. So both London-based female scientists run this initiative. So I thought it would be a really good time to play this fantastic interview that I managed to to get with both of them uh, talking all about that initiative. And as I said, I'm going I'm to back that straight up with some uh, other fantastic interviews with brilliant female uh, guests who have been on the show. Now, this does include a human spaceflight program manager. Yeah, you heard that right. Pretty awesome stuff. And also the outreach manager for Tim Peake's Principia mission and the presenter of the astronomy program, BBC's The Sky at Night. So, you know, a couple of absolutely amazing uh, female scientists there to talk to. And another mystery female guest as well who's been on the show recently. I will, yeah, I'll I'll reveal that a bit later on. But I I think what I want to do, to be honest, is just just crack straight on with this show. As always, going to get all the guests to lay down some song requests because, you know, it'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? So look forward to some great music as well. If you want to get involved uh, with a cheeky song request for a future show, um, you can do that. Of course you can. Best way to do that, actually, just give me an email or if you just want to chat or mention anything you've heard on the show or whatever. If you don't want to get in touch, you can do that. Uh, CornwallClubRadio at gmail.com is the email address to use there. But anyway, let's get cracking with this show, shall we? As promised then, I'm going to start with this interview with the two founders of Soapbox Science. Cornwall Club on Coast FM. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you both. And you know what? I was just going to say, as a very small thank you for coming on the show today, I was going to give you both the song request. So I thought I'd just warn you about that at the start, if that's all right. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> on the <laughs> spot. Oh, God. No, I have to think. Um... Yeah, I just thought, you know, you used to being put on the spot talking about uh, talking about science out to lots of people. So I thought, well, I'll put you on the spot with a bit of music as well. How about that? <laughs> Gosh, okay. I have to think a minute. Um, I'm so bad with, with names of songs, though. Yeah, me too. No, it's a bit, a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, how about we come back to that at the end and then see if we can come up with something. But um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's OK. I have, I have one. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, at the end of the interview, then uh, we're going to have to put that straight on as a little uh, you know, playlist for you, for, you, for you guys to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Let me see if this is the right one. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. OK. Awesome. <laughs> that that was that was cheeky. That was cheeky. <laughs> what yeah. will you say about us? Oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm exactly like that though. I, mean, I I can often remember song lyrics, but it's the titles are quite tough. So you kind of kind of got to sing it along and think. Um, is that is that it? What, what's it called? Yeah. Anyway, well, it sounds like sounds like we're sorted anyway. So we'll we'll come back to that at the end and get some tunes mm-hmm. on for you both. Uh, but if yeah. it's okay with you both now, I'd love to just give you a chance to. 
you know, just jump in and say hello and introduce yourselves uh, just for our listeners, first of all, if that's all right. And then, yeah, I'll fire some questions away uh, all about soapbox science, if that's okay. So whenever you're good to go, please do just, uh, yeah, just jump right in. Okay, I'll start. Hello, um, my name is Natalie Petrelli. I'm a scientist at the Zoological Society of London. And uh, my name is Serene Sumner, and I'm a professor of behavioural ecology at UCL. Oh, Serena and Natalie, thank you so much. Uh, very, very warm welcome to the show. Uh, absolutely fantastic uh, platform we're talking about today. And, uh, you know, 10 years on, this is, of course, for Soapbox Science. And I, I just say to start with, I just think this this movement has been so brilliant because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure every single university you go to now, this is always so, so press, isn't it, that... You know, women and non-binary people and indeed everybody need to get up and talk about science to the public and get everybody excited about science. And that's really a movement that, that started with Soapbox Science. So I just think it's this, this brilliant movement. So, you know, it'd be great just to get you both to kind of reflect a bit on this 10 years on. Yeah, well, so we, we, we've been thinking about this. One of the things that is worth saying is that when we started, people didn't systematically think it was a brilliant idea. <laughs> I remember vividly when we started, people telling me things such as, yeah, it would be great, but, but actually it would be better if you also put men on subboxes, not just women. <laughs> so it's quite nice to have gone from 10 years on where it was a struggle just to explain yes. that we needed a platform to showcase diversity, to talk about diversity in science, to provide role models, to show that scientists come in all shape, form, color, whatever you think, to now where we're starting to say, well, actually, there's a lot of people that, that, that see the value of this and that have engaged with it. And I mean, they have engaged, you know, we're talking 14 countries, 59 cities. So it's, it's really reach out and we hope it reach even wider, but um, resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I guess it comes back to, you know, the, the absolute essential requirement to, to encourage, you know, young girls and all people to, to actually think about, you know, STEM as career pathways. Because, you know, I just think it's very sad to think that actually, you know, historically, it might have been the case that actually people were discouraged from going down those career paths, just because they might not see representation and think, well, it's not for me. Yeah, exactly. I think there's the whole, one of the things that we, we hope that uh, Soapbox does is it provides those role models. So even if you're not particularly encouraged to do science as a child um, by your family or by your particular school or, or, you know, your teachers, if you happen to see female scientists um, and, and understand what they're doing and, and see it as a normal thing that women do, I think we think that it's much more likely that a child, a, a girl might even, might think that could be me one day I quite fancy that wow I'd like to be like her yes. so it's all about providing role models that are accessible not only to the kids but also the one that come to science to show them it's possible to have a career it's possible to stay it's it's a community a good community to build a career because uh, what we have as a problem too at least in in um, science such as biology is that women do go for a science job in biology but they don't stay and, and sometimes that has also to do with a role model just you know someone showing you that it's possible to have a family it's possible to be happy it's possible to to have a good um, fulfilling career in science and um, i think our, our soapbox science events they often the speakers or they the organizers have got their families with them anyway so as well as seeing the scientists they often you know they'll also see that the scientists have got their kids with them yes, we've had yes. some scientists give their talks with like their baby on their hips <laughs> standing <laughs> yes. on a soapbox with babies it's brilliant 
<laughs> multitasking. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that in terms of you know both both being essential for you know clearly for promotion to to, to the younger audience in terms of you know thinking wow that's that I could do that, but also as you say retaining um, those female scientists because uh, you know it, it, it's sad to think, isn't it, that, that that historically a lot of them would would just would just leave because you know they, they might not think that. It's, it's the good place for them to stay. And, and especially when it comes to things like um, like families, as, as you're saying, I think that's brilliant that, that that actually that message is going out there. You know, you can have a family and do science. That That's allowed. <laughs> mm. And that actually works quite well because a scientist's job is a very flexible job. Yes. So this, it, 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 it's, it's actually a very um, uh, helping career in that respect, so allowing you to really juggle different dimensions of yourself uh, in, a, in a flexible way. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you guys definitely um, inspired us at the University of Exeter. I've just finished up there, actually, and uh, and we 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 had these uh, these events running, and they were absolutely brilliant. You know, we got some absolutely amazing talks, and oh, and I just think it's amazing. That is because you have a fantastic local organizer team over there. I mean, uh, uh, they have been with us since 2015, I think, and they work really hard to put together some really good events for Exeter. So you're lucky. Yeah, Yeah, they're definitely an amazing team there. They deserve an award. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's amazing to hear. It's it's all all because, you know, this fantastic movement. So it comes back to thanking you for for starting this. And and you're saying, you know, back in the early days, this this doesn't doesn't actually sound like a particularly simple uh, thing to start. And one thing that I was wondering about as well, you know, kind of superimposed on top of this is, I guess, science traditionally was always quite... um, I don't know, kind of had this image of like, you know, lone wolves in the lab working away. And there wasn't there wasn't really this massive focus, as far as I'm aware, on kind of communication. And I don't know whether that superimposed uh, upon the issues that you were tackling made it even more difficult to get people on board to to get up and talk. I don't know if that's something you came across at all. So we're going to have two very different perspectives on this. So I'm going to give mine. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I had no idea that you could do the job that I'm doing now. And that's because, like you, I was pushed on, upon with this idea that a scientist is in a lab coat in some, some remote place on their own. And literally, it didn't appeal to me whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> but then, at 18, I realized that there's also scientists that goes in the field and talk to people and look at nature and do all kind of stuff. They play with technology. They They... They explore, they, you know, and I was much more an Indiana Jones than a, a scientist in oh, a lab. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that appealed to me. Um, and so with Subbox Science, what I think we do is that we not only show that, uh, yeah, scientists can talk and they are not just, you know, people that are unable to communicate with the rest of the population, but I also show that science is not just about lab coats and labs. Science comes in all kind and shape of, and there's a lot of different science that, that interact all the time. It's a creative uh, platform. It's in innovative it's fun and i think that's that's at least what i get from it but syrian will probably add to this because she she does a bit more lab work <laughs> uh well i mean i i also came to science in a very indiana jones-esque route <laughs> I, I, I actually now spend a, a lot of my, my my the work that i do now is about uh, is lab work is molecular biology and, and looking at genomes and transcriptomes and understanding social behavior from that perspective but actually i actively shunned that kind of lab work in my early science life you know as an undergraduate yes. because i thought it was boring and and so i think you know because i wanted to be the indiana jones but it was actually i'd like to do david attenborough really rather than indiana jones <laughs> <laughs> it was my style but um but i think the point 
point is that you know science is inter- interdisciplinary and science um the way that you approach your science involves uh picking up on the expertise of lots of different types of scientists and sciences um and in order to be a, a to, to engage in interdisciplinary science you need to have conversations and you need to collaborate um and so science these days is incredibly collaborative and i think it's always been collaborative it's just that we never used to talk about the people who did all the extra work in the background in the past it was always like you know professor so-and-so did this you yes. know won the Nobel prize for doing all of this on his own <laughs> um and actually that's not at all true you know there would have been teams of people behind them and these days we we acknowledge and we give credit to the to the collaborations that that the uh, is the only way that the science can get done yeah, well, thank you. That's fantastic, Anthony. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of thinking that uh, on top of your song choices, might have to actually end up playing the Indiana Jones theme tune as well now, because you know, uh... I've heard it mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> what do you think? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Beth. I'd love, as if it's okay with you, as I was thinking about, um, you know, helping out, potentially helping out, you know, especially let, let's say there's, you know, some parents at home listening in, and they're thinking, oh, you know, my my, my daughter might be really interested in, in hearing a bit more about this. I wonder if you've got any kind of handy resources that we can point people towards. This might not be a question, obviously, that you can answer off the top of your head, but if there is anything that you, you know, could point us towards, that that would be amazing. Oh yeah, no. I think I think I would really recommend to uh, to visit our Subbox Science uh, website because in there you find link to all our speakers and little uh, chat on YouTube that they have done to present different science network. You also find information about where our the next where are the next events and which one might be close to you. Um, and then it provides you with a lot of different. Uh, there's a blog with a lot of uh, um, uh, discussion and thinking about career um, building in science and what was the hurdle there's a lot of tips so i think i think that this would work well as a as a first portal to think about a career in science or to look for events and uh, and try to get inspired that way Oh, thank you very much. That's yeah, that, that's that's super handy. Thank you for that. Um, so, uh, so I, I won't keep you too much longer. So I'm aware of your time, of course. So I, th- I think what I will do now, if that's okay with you both, is, is I'll just ask if there's any you know other messages or anything you'd like to reiterate at this point, or you know any other resources, anything like that. You're very very welcome to add those in, uh, and of course. Uh, song request time. If you'd like to, if you'd like to pop down an, another tune for the playlist, you're very welcome to. So I'll just hand over to you both uh, to to end up with, if that's okay. Okay, uh, so I'll, I'll go first. I would say do join us on social media because we, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on YouTube, any kind of uh, uh, social media you can think of, we're probably there. And it's always Subbox Science. And I think that's, that's a cool community to join and to follow up on, on what we're doing. And that, as for the uh, song choice, I'll go with Johnny Be Good. Oh, nice. Barry. Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. Yeah, perfect. And Syrian, what about yourself? Um, yeah, so it's so funny that Natalie chose Johnny Be Good because I was thinking, what song can I choose? And I, I have a confession. So <laughs> I, um, I, and I, and it's timely because this happened at the weekend. I play the the keyboard in our village band. Oh, yes. Uh, so I'm giving a shout out to our village band. It's called the Stud Muffins. It's a dreadful name, but it's been, it's been like, it's existed for decades. And, and, uh, and we did a, we actually did play Johnny Be Good on Saturday. Um, but I was going to choose a slightly more unusual song, um, which is called Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And oh, yes. it's kind of musically very interesting, which is why I chose it. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Beth. 
I think people are not only going to be searching for Soapbox Science, but they're going to be checking out that band now, Studmuffins. They're going to be Googling it. Oh, so no, I don't think you can find us online. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we're, we're just a bunch of rather oh. unskilled people. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, thank you so much both for your time. We really appreciate it. And of course, I really urge our listeners to go ahead and check out Soapbox Science across all of the platforms. And uh, thank you for thank you for your time today, both. Really, really absolute pleasure to have you on the show with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you both. Cornwall Club on Coast FM. Well, thanks again to Natalia Petarelli and Professor Serian Sumner uh, talking all about their initiative, Soapbox Science there. Don't forget to go away and Google Soapbox Science to do fantastic work all over the UK. Absolutely brilliant resource um, for anyone out there interested in getting into science. Now, up next, uh, as I said, I've gone back through some of the uh, brilliant interviews I've been lucky enough to to get with fantastic, inspirational uh, female scientists. And the first is with Dr. Maggie Adrian Pocock, MBE, uh, best known perhaps for her work on BBC's The Sky at Night. And she's also an engineer. She's been really instrumental in the designing of various um, telescopes and, and kits like that. So she's an um, absolutely fantastic astronomer and scientist. And this was actually an interview all about her. Um, you're going to laugh, but it's called Cookies in Space. And it's quite literally where astronauts took cookies to the International Space Station to bake them um, in outer space. <laughs> pretty pretty awesome. Um, anyway, Dr. Maddie Eddie Rome Prokop was on hand to talk all about that uh, and also offer some advice on the nighttime sky. So, yep, there we are. That that was what the interview was all about. Absolutely brilliant. Really loved chatting to uh, Maggie, actually. She, she's fantastic. Uh, and straight after that, actually, I'm going to play um, a little clip from, because it's a remarkable fact. I think this is really going to surprise you. I still absolutely love this fact, actually. Space-related. Uh, and it's to do with Tim Peake, uh, because this was uh, Tim Peake's Principia Outreach Manager, and she's a human spaceflight program manager. That's Libby Jackson. And she's got a fact about astronauts. This is a real fact about what astronauts do music-wise, music-wise, before they jet off into space. It's amazing. It links very strongly into a song request as well. So I'm not going to say any more about that. I'm just, I'm just going to let it play. But anyway, first of all, it's Dr. Mary Edwin Pocock. Here's that interview. Cornwall Club on Coast FM. Hello, Maggie. Can you hear me okay there? I can hear you beautifully. Thank you, Ben. Oh, thank you very much, Maggie. I must say, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. I really, really, I was so excited about talking to you, Maggie. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I was hoping as well, because you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to say thank you in a very small way by giving you a little song request at the end of the interview today. So, if oh. if you'd like one, you can be thinking of that in the background. <laughs> yes, let me think. Oh, gosh, I know. Space is probably a... <laughs> it's a tough one. Probably the only question you've ever struggled with there, isn't it? <laughs> so let's get talking then about cookies in space. It seems an unlikely combination, cookies and space. But uh, Doubletree by Hilton, they teamed up um, with some organisations to make uh, their cookie the first thing to be baked in space. I've actually got a, a picture in front of me here of the, aboard the uh, ISS with the, the, the commander and the astronaut, uh, Christina, with the cookie in front of them. It, it must have been quite remarkable for them to have this here as well, kind of a home comfort. Yeah, because um, 
usually the sort of things they eat in space are um, they're sort of um, they're rehydrated foods or pre-packaged foods. Yes. And so for, to have actually something baked on board, I think, was very exciting. Many of us in the future, I think, would like to go into space and like to live in hotels in space. And so um, to do that, um, if you have a space hotel, you need a space restaurant. So what are you going to cook? And I don't think people are going to be happy with sort of a, a rehydrated <laughs> food. So the, uh, the ability to be able to bake something in space is, it, it sounds weird, but I think it's something that we need to sort out now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's actually, um, you know, people might some people might think, oh, that sounds that sounds crazy. And actually, there are there are some, you know, technological challenges, of course, with doing this, aren't there? I wonder if you could kind of tell us a bit about some of the challenges that they they face doing this. Yes. So, um, cooking in space is uh, they don't really do it at the moment. So, what they have is they have food which has been uh, dehydrated, and then what you can do is you can rehydrate it in warm water, sort of mush it up and eat it. And then they have pre-packaged food, which they sort of heat up, and then sort of, you know, tear the, the plastic uh, packaging off, and they can eat that. But baking in space, um, if you go online and look at a, a video of a flame burning in space, a candle flame burning in space, things are very different. And so um, with this experiment, what they were trying to explore is, um, if you take the cookie, how um, easily can you bake it? Now, here on planet Earth, they put it at sort of about sort of, uh, 150 degrees and bake it for about uh, 25, sort of 15, 25 minutes. In space, the best cookie came out uh, at, uh, after a bake of over two hours. And, uh, and so why did it take so much longer is one of the things that we're trying to explore. It might be due to sort of uh, the, the way the oven is designed. And in space, in this microgravity environment, um, you don't get sort of convection currents. This is where you know, the hot air rises and the cold air drops. Um, in a microgravity environment, you don't get that happening. And so baking is a, a very, very different um, uh, prospect. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it, to think just how something, uh, you know, that we take completely for granted, don't we, just being able to you know, bake a cookie. I mean, just how <laughs> difficult that is when you go into the space environment. It's remarkable. And the interesting thing is that they took the cookie, but they had already sort of uh, put it together. So it was raw, but it was already assembled. Uh, because if you can imagine sort of you know, stirring eggs <laughs> and sort of flour <laughs> in a microgravity environment, you can imagine the whole of the space, age, uh, space station <laughs> filling up with flour and things like that, <laughs> which is sort of potentially hazardous. So, um, uh, yeah, we have, uh, I think, a long way to go before we actually do bake-off in space. Yes. But uh, this is sort of the beginnings of it. Oh, well, what a fantastic first experiment. I mean, this is a very exciting news. I think uh, it really kind of goes nicely, I think, with people's kind of views for, you know, the future of space travel. It really kind of, I, I bet it's going to really reignite people's love about thinking about that and thinking about the future. I mean, what is the future kind of looking like in your eyes, Maggie, in terms of, you know, space travel? Because you do, you know, often hear, don't you, about, you know, perhaps in the future planned missions to, to Mars and things like this. I don't know what it looks like in, in your eyes, the future. I'm definitely an optimist, uh, but I do think the future is looking more exciting than it has for a while. Uh, right since sort of the get-go, since I can remember, um, um, I, I heard about the moon landings and I decided I wanted to get out there. And this has been the passion of my life, which is why I became a space scientist. Uh, and last year we were celebrating uh, 50 years since the moon landings. And the fact is we haven't been back to the moon since. But now there's sort of suddenly talk. And uh, I think um, space is getting a little more commercialised. And if it's just funded by governments, then uh, I think it's slow going. But now more and more companies, uh, like Hilton and people like that, are seeing opportunities in space. And they want to be sort of the pioneers in space. 
And so um, we've got people like Musk and other people who are actually commercializing space. And so I'd say hopefully in the next 20 years we'll have the space, first space hotel. We have space tourists at the moment going to the International Space Station. But I think in the next 20 years we'll have the first space hotel. And uh, yes, um, sort of, uh, and I think we'll just sort of uh, leap on from there. Oh, <laughs> Move Mars and beyond. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, the good thing is they've now got the cookies kind of, you know, coming along. So they'll have those when they get there. And the key thing is I believe that they could actually smell the cookies. And that's probably, that probably sent them home, right? That they just thought, yes, this, that's it. That's what I needed. <laughs> the most valuable cookie in the world right now, isn't it? The first cookie baked in space. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a nibble myself. Yeah. <laughs> we'll share it if that's all right. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> oh, Maggie, it's been so good to have you so far. Thank you for your time so far. I won't keep you for too much longer. I wonder if you had any, because I know one of your you know, real passions is um, science communication. And I just wondered if you had any messages uh, for any students out there today, because we actually have a couple of campuses who might hear this. It'd be really fantastic if, if you might have any you know, quick notes for them. fantastic thank you so much maggie i wonder if i could be very very cheeky just a very quick one now and just ask if there's you know anything obvious that people if we are lucky and we get a clear sky coming up is there anything obvious that people should be looking out for <laughs> yes. So um, tonight, is, uh, is, um, if you get, do get, we've had some very nice clear nights. But um, um, just after sunset, if you look um, uh, towards uh, where the sun has set, you will probably see Venus. And um, if it's a clear sky, Venus is very hard to miss because it looks uh, it looks like a, it just looks like a diamond in the sky, just like the little poem for kids. And so it's amazing to see. If you've got a set of binoculars and look through that, you might actually see Venus actually goes through phases like the moon. So if you have got a good pair of you might actually be able to see the faces of Venus. Oh, wow. So uh, it is, uh, there's lots of fantastic things to see out there. Oh, thank you so much, Maggie. Well, I will let you go now, but I just want to thank you again. It's been uh, it's been amazing having you. I couldn't wait to have you on the show, so thank you for this. <laughs> oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. Bye now. <laughs> Goodbye. The fantastic Dr. Maggie Adrian Pocock. Thank you very much, Maggie. Now, we were looking for a space-themed song. There are a couple of obvious choices, isn't there? You know, we could have a bit of Bowie on, for example, a bit of space oddity. But uh, I just remember this clip, actually, from um, Libby Jackson, space physicist Libby Jackson, who's actually a human spaceflight program manager, and she was Tim Peake's uh, manager for his outreach uh, all around his Principia mission. So, of course, that mission was very, very famous uh, recently. 
But just before, just before I get Libby on to uh, to request that, just a very short clip from this full interview that I've played previously with Libby. Let's just get it on. You'll like this fact. You'll like this. This is a fact that I've learned off off the great Wikipedia. So this this might not be true, but I really want to know: Is it true that each astronaut is allowed three songs to be played to them before their mission? <laughs> uh, when they are waiting on top of the Soyuz rocket, so when Tim okay. was in his capsule, uh, the Russians do pipe music through. There's no yeah. countdown or anything like that. <laughs> they get to choose different songs, and I think uh, one of Tim's choices was Queen and Don't Stop Me Now. So, yeah, oh. they really do get to choose the music. Brilliant. You know what? I might, have to, I might have to get one of those on the show, actually, just to kind of accompany your appearance. In honour in honor of you coming on the show today, Libby. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It'd be great. Okay, it's time for my mystery female guest now. I was delighted to get the one and only Connie on a show recently. So here is a very short clip of that interview. You can listen to the full thing uh, on a, on a past show if you wish to. But you know, just pop the uh, pop this little clip for you here. Again, there's a very strong link to a song request in this. So Connie did also lay down a song request. Obviously, I'm going to play that again. But also, there's a there's a, there's a related song as you're about to find out. Might have to come on straight after that as well. Anyway, here's Connie. I just want to, you know, in all of your kind of <clears throat> presenting career, I'm sure you've probably got some great sources for people to perhaps learn a bit more about, you know, ecology in general or, or you know, talk, think about conservation efforts going on and, and you know, look at the wildlife that the people are protecting and worried about. Absolutely. So basically, um, there's really, really good resources, actually, on, on the Greenpeace website, um, which are really good. At, in particular, you know, children often don't, don't you know it can be quite complicated can't it that you're told oh don't have don't use petrol and don't use plastic but also uh eat less meat and how does that all how does that all tie up and how does that all tally you know it can be quite confusing and the polar ice caps are melting and it can often be these disjointed things um and actually it all sort of boils down to um, the fact that it's all to do with the carbon that we're taking out of the earth that we never did for years and years and years. And now we've, we've got these man-made substances, we've got petrol and plastic and all of this stuff. Uh, and nobody's returning that carbon back into the earth, which means to dispose of it. It's just carbon in the atmosphere, essentially, which means that the oxygen carbon balance is being disrupted, which is bad for our breathing, bad for plant and wildlife species, bad for global warming. And all of those dots are connected with the resources that they have got on their website. Um, The key things we need to be doing, looking after the oceans, looking after our greenery, living sustainably, and not using man-made materials. And it's really done quite nicely there. I also did um, a sort of educational video that sort of uh, spells it all out um, with the National Literacy Trust in conjunction with Greenpeace and the Mail Plus, which you can find online, which sort of spells it out very simply um, so that you can join all the dots and understand how it all works together. Oh, Connie, thanks so much. That's absolutely fantastic answer. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Very last thing then, song request time. Is it going to be busted? Because I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right in thinking you were actually in one of their music videos in, in a bit of a special a few years back, right? That's, that's oh right. Oh my I goodness. I've totally <laughs> forgotten about that. Yes, I was, wasn't I? I'm yeah. sitting remember that well it's, it's a bit it's a bit of a bit of a storming appearance wasn't it it's crashed the wedding i think we, i could get that on for you if you like <laughs> uh, i wasn't going to request that but if you want to you can totally play that i was going to request something else completely different but it's your call no you go for it connie whatever you want it's going to come on so what are you thinking uh let's go for i've got a feeling by the black eyed peas 
I just want to thank all of my special guests, as always. Uh, thanks to the founders of Soapbox Science. We heard from them uh, earlier on the show, Nathia Petirelli and Professor Sarian Sumner. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and we delve back into some older interviews with some uh, brilliant female guests that I've had on the show, including the one and only Connie Huck. So very, very big thank you to our special guests. And thank you to you. Thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you can join me again next Wednesday. Uh, but for now, it's a heartfelt goodbye from me. I'm going to leave you with some... Tom Petty. Is that all right? I was thinking about it for a moment, but yeah.